the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. It was a hot topic early in the week when the Ford Tories at Queen's Park requested input from Ontario residents on reducing single-use plastics like bags, water bottles and straws, as well as other litter and waste. Almost a ton of waste per person is generated in this province annually, and the rate at which our waste is diverted from landfills has stalled at around 30% over the last 15 years. Libby Snymer spoke with Vito Buonsante, the Plastics Program Manager at Environmental Defence Canada, along with the NDP critic for Environment and Sustainability, MPP Ian Arthur, for their opinions. I think this is where the entire world is headed. The EU has already instituted a ban, uh, a proposed ban on single-use plastics and a time frame for actually making that happen. And I think at this point it's about whether there's the, the political courage and and I guess I would say the the values, those core values, to to kind of tell corporations what, what is going to be required and, and how we're going to change moving forward. Okay, and I'd also like to bring in Vito Bonsante, who is the Plastics Program Manager at Environmental Defense. How do you see this uh, call for public input? The fact that they're considering the, a ban on single-use plastic is, is, is very, very much welcome. I'm, I was always almost surprised. I mean, there, there are two things that, I, that uh, surprised me from this paper. First of all was to see the statistics on uh, uh, waste generation in Ontario per capita, one ton of waste generation generation per person uh, is is a lot and i think it puts us at the number one waste generators uh in the world uh and the second thing was that i was positively surprised of, of the fact that this government is taking into consideration both a uh, deposit return program on uh, um, non-alcoholic beverages uh, because ontario has one of the lowest uh, um, collection rates for these kind of uh, plastic bottles. And the second thing is uh, a broader uh, ban on single-use plastics. So what would that be it is to be seen, but it's uh, surely we're surely welcome uh, for that, and we're going to be inputting on that. Ian, do you think that the, the way this was placed in the statement is, is of significance, uh, or do you think that maybe the government is about to do the right thing? I'm always skeptical that this government is going to do the right thing when it comes to the environment, and their record so far has shown that they've eliminated the Office of the Environmental Commissioner, the the cancelling of the cap-and-trade programs and all the environmental programs associated with that, and they're currently in the process of, of repealing the Toxic Substances Act through Bill 66. So I haven't seen the kind of action that we need from the government on the environment so far, and I think that you very accurately pointed out how, how far down the list this possible ban is. But this this is something that should be very simple. We we need to move in this direction. We need the decisive action and we need to happen it to happen soon. Um, uh, we in the Ontario NDP we've been working on on waste solutions for a while and I'm I'm bringing a bill forward on the Monday the legislature resumes a week from now to eliminate single-use plastics in Ontario it's it's something that we've been researching we've been working on for some time and if the government is is serious about this then they, you know they they just have to stand up and vote in favor of it Ian Arthur what would you like to leave us with 
I just that I think this is an incredibly important issue and, and that we absolutely need to move forward. It's recycling and, and waste is provincial jurisdiction, and we really do need to see leadership in, in this area. And the NDP, we're, we're, de- we're developing a waste strategy and a waste plan. We're, we're certainly willing to share that with the government and, and to hold them to account as the opposition and, and make sure that they move in the right direction on this. Okay, well, uh, good luck with that, as they say. And Vito Bonsante, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I want to say that uh, uh, individual uh, behavior is important, but what we need is uh, leadership from, uh, we need regulation that uh, guide both industry and uh, uh, consumers' uh, consumers' choice. And, uh, and we need to reduce the amount of plastic that we use and the plastic waste uh, we generate. And, uh, and we're hoping that strong laws are put in place uh, by this uh, provincial government uh, so that we can achieve like uh, Canada, a clean, beautiful Canada without waste by as soon as possible, what we're hoping by 2025. That was Vito Buonsante from Environmental Defense Canada and MPP Ian Arthur, NDP critic for environment and sustainability. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. This past week, Toronto police launched a pedestrian blitz targeting preventable situations, leading to injuries and even fatalities for vulnerable road users. Toronto Police Traffic Sergeant Brett Moore knows that collisions are inevitable, but the causes of many are preventable. The goal is to have zero injuries and deaths on our streets. But last year, there were 41 pedestrian fatalities on Toronto streets, and half of those killed were 55 years of age or older. Sergeant Alex Cruz from Toronto Police Traffic Services stopped by to give some timely advice. Pedestrians being one of our vulnerable road users, uh, we want to make sure that we look after them. So we want to get this message out that we want you to put those risky type behaviors, your your cell phones, your, your speeding, not following the rules of the road. We want you to that just stop, take a moment, and make sure you, you focus on doing the right thing so that we're not becoming involved in collisions and in running over pedestrians. How many more officers do you have out? And they're, they're going to be in unmarked vehicles. Well, we're not actually putting any extra officers out. We're just asking that each division, uh, when they have their officers available, that they focus their enforcement time on this particular campaign. Like, we do this stuff every day, but a campaign uh, allows us to get the message out. And we thank our media partners for allowing us to come on and talk about it as well, because we want to get people talking about it. And do you find that maybe people behave a bit better when the blitz is on and then as soon as they know you that's over go back to you know the old ways unfortunately i think that might be a true statement but uh we're hoping uh with uh just education uh having people talk about this and and again these statistics like when we look at how many people kill like 41 pedestrians were killed last year on a road so each one of those pedestrians is a loved one you know a yeah. mother a father a brother a sister so we have to remember that that's a pretty staggering sobering statistic you know i know sometimes i have trouble too and when it's people wearing dark clothing yeah. with headphones on and yes. they're not crossing at a crosswalk or at the light, right. but they're crossing in the middle of the road. I mean, it, it can be scary for a driver. Certainly it is. And again, you know, we're, we're not here to blame anybody. I, I was saying you're, this person or this group of people are wrong. This is a shared responsibility. Uh, 
And, and the fact of the matter, let's say the pedestrian is wrong or the cyclist is wrong exactly. and gets hit by a car. Ultimately, it's the pedestrian and the cyclist that are paying the price. So the, the driver, those that were encased in that steel cage, we're the safest out there, whether we're right or wrong as well. So again, it's a shared responsibility. Just going home last or on Saturday night, had a, a, a ride call back. It was three o'clock in the morning, raining, dark. And as I was proceeding south on Dufferin to make a right onto Springhurst, uh, there's this elderly gentleman walking across the road with a cane dressed in black. So as a driver, it's my responsibility to make sure that I see that person. So Again, when I say it's a shared responsibility, drivers, we can make the biggest difference in in reducing these collisions. What would you like to leave us with? Okay, so we just uh, want people to pay attention to their driving, put away the phones. Uh, We don't want any distractions. Uh, Concentrate on operating that vehicle in a safe manner. Pedestrians, pay the rules of the road. You know, look both ways before crossing the road. Uh, we were talking earlier about Elmer the Elephant that used to come to the school when I was a kid. And I remember, you know. I remember him too. Yep. And you know what? It's sound advice. Maybe we should bring Elmer the Elephant back just uh, so that everybody does their, 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 their the right thing. Again, it's a shared responsibility to make sure that we reduce these collisions. One thing I haven't asked you about. So if you get stopped and you uh, were doing the deed, what are some of the penalties you might face? Well, I mean, distracted driving. So far, we've written over 1,800 tickets for distracted driving this year. And, you know, you're looking at substantial penalties. You know, minimum fine is $615, three-day driver's license suspension. Uh, that's for your first offense. So and it points? Increase, points are six demerit points. <gasps> oh, my goodness. So. When your license is suspended, you have to pay a $275 reinstatement fee to the, to the ministry. Your insurance is going to go up. So these risky type, aggressive tri- uh, type uh, behaviors, uh, uh, things that your drivers are doing on the road, there, there's some pretty substantial financial uh, costs involved as a result of your actions. That was Sergeant Alex Cruz from Toronto Police Traffic Services. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Toronto City Councillors voted earlier this month 22 to 4 in favour of a $13 billion operating budget, along with a 10-year capital budget plan of $40 billion. This involves a property tax hike of just over 2.5%, plus an annual levy for the mayor's previously approved city building funds, which means homeowners will be facing a tax increase above the rate of inflation. There will also be a 3% water rate increase and an increase of just over 2% on garbage collection rates. But Mayor John Tory insists the budget is balanced. Budget Committee member Councillor Shelley Carroll from Ward 17 Don Valley North does not agree and spoke with Libby Snymer about it. Well, no, there's still uh, uh, about uh, $70 million worth of uh, shortfall in the budget because the budget was based on us sorting out our uh, agreement with the federal government to for them to, to fund some of our expenses for housing refugees. That hasn't come. Uh, we find savings every year in the budget, but this year we couldn't find enough. And so there's a commitment to find another $10 million in the, the city's uh, uh, departments for savings. And we need to find another $12 million in the TTC services for savings. So we really have, uh, we really still have a gap that we have to close before we start next year's budget project. Do you think it's going to be problematic to find those savings? Well, I do. And, and what concerns me is 
that this year's budget has become a little more about about uh, messaging you instead of more about what we are delivering to you. Um, uh, certainly, uh, there were the majority of council wanted to be able to say this is a no cuts budget, but the reality is, on a per person basis, we're going to spend a little less on every person, and. There are, in fact, some efficiencies that, that mean human resources cuts in, in almost every department. And by the end of the year, to close that gap, there will be more. We need to decide whether or not we want to continue to just trim away at our services or we want to sit down now as a city and decide what is the level of service we want to invest in. Now, there were some councillors who wanted to raise property tax hikes more to 3.55 or 4.55. You are one of those, correct? Yes. Um, I voted for some of the smaller ones. Some of the things that we added at the last minute to the budget, I think we found irresponsible funding sources. If we really, truly want to deliver more, I think we have to be honest with people about the cost of the of delivering them more. And uh, so uh, what I propose to my residents is what if, on top of the mayor's cost of living increase, there was one additional percent every year for three years to make the envelope bigger, but to continue every year to look for waste and, and make sure that we were keeping the budget trim, but make that envelope bigger so that it accommodates the things that uh, that we feel pressure in, uh, transit services, potholes or, and, and, and road condition, the, the types of things that operating staff do at, tra- at transportation. If we want to fill those, uh, those gaps, what if we did a very gradual thing? And so anyone who moved a motion that proposed something gradual like that, I felt I could vote for because my feedback from residents was, yes, we could live with that. There was one to do 2% this year and without really um, a multi-year plan around it. And that one I didn't support. I went with what my residents said they could live with, one additional percent. What would you like to leave us with on this? Are the services really all you want them to be right now? If they're not, then we have to sit down and have a hard conversation as a community. If you want a better level of services, if you have a better vision, then let's come up with a, a model that doesn't hit any one group unfairly and and makes it possible to see a brighter future in terms of service and building the city we want. That was Budget Committee member Councillor Shelley Carroll from Ward 17, Don Valley North. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The SNC-Lavalin scandal made international headlines this past week. Members of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, a group that oversees a global anti-bribery convention, expressed concern about the accusations that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and staff in his office tried to get former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould to let the Quebec engineering giant negotiate a remediation agreement rather than pursue the firm on criminal charges of bribery and fraud. The OECD declared that economic considerations are not a reason to let offending companies off the hook, as the PM was trying to use in his explanation. And Canada is one of 44 nations that in 1999 signed the legally binding anti-bribery convention. Libby spoke with political crisis strategist Robin Sears and MP Pierre Poliev, the conservative shadow minister of finance, who's also a member of the Commons Justice Committee. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development uh, correctly 
points out that no political interference is allowed in the use of deferred prosecution agreements. In other words, politicians should not play any role in shelving criminal charges uh, uh, for corruption. That appears to be exactly what happened here. Jody Wilson-Raybould said that the Prime Minister and his team politically interfered uh, with this decision, uh, and the world is noticing. Last week, we heard Gerald Butts testify. He sounded conciliatory, and his story was believable, even if you couldn't actually believe it. Is is that your view of it? No, he stated falsehoods. He said, well, if there was such a problem, why didn't she tell us earlier? She did. She testified that she, quote, looked the prime minister in the eye and asked him if he was interfering with my decision. That sounds to me like she raised the issue. And that was back in September. So, uh, you know, uh, but stated things that are, are on the record as being false, as has the prime minister. And that's why we need to invite Jody Wilson-Raybould back to committee in order to complete the testimony she was not allowed to finish last time. Jody Wilson-Raybould has said she has more to tell, that the prime minister has banned from telling that additional information. And Canadians need to continue to demand that he let her speak so that we know the entire story and can make a judgment about his conduct ourselves. Right now, I would like to bring in Robin Sears, who is a principal at the Earnscliff Strategy Group. What's your take on it? Well, I think there are two shoes left to drop. I mean, one that is, you know, let's get the rest of the story out. What happened between demotion day and resignation day to Ms. Wilson-Raybould? It seems bizarre that they think they can keep that a secret. One suspects that among the things that happened is that somebody threatened her internally with challenging her view of events and that encouraged her to think, well, she better get out first and get her story on the line, which she did very professionally and eloquently. But I think the second shoe to drop, which is the real poser for the government, is what the hell do they do now about SNC-Lavalin? I mean, they, they really have one of those terrible binary choices in politics, which are not uncommon, an unacceptable choice and an unpleasant choice. There are no other choices. The unacceptable choice, I think, would be to be seen to have forced the deputy, uh, sorry, the director of public prosecutions to resign, probably made the new attorney general's position untenable as well by insisting they're going to go ahead with a DPA now, uh, a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. I just don't think that's a feasible option for them. So it's a real mess. Um, the only thing I would say, Libya, is a, in a little unsympathetic tone, is it's a mess of their own device and creation. They have known they were facing this challenge since they came to office three and a half years ago, and they kicked the can down the road till they got themselves in this absolute dead-end trap. And um, there's nobody they can point a finger at other than themselves for that. That's interesting. And if you are into predicting, do you think they will allow her to come back to the Justice Committee, or will the Liberal majority on that committee uh, uh, kibosh that? This will not remain a secret. 
it will come out in a very, very torqued version in a news story as a result of somebody leaking it, which will do them a great deal of damage, probably at a more damaging time, closer to the election, or it'll come out next week in a committee. Those are the only two options. I'd choose the committee over anything else if I were them. That was Robin Sears, a principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group and conservative finance critic Pierre Poliev. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Joan in Oshawa phoned to make a point about how much plastic we use in this country. I don't like the plastic bags. I never have because, uh, number one, they're ugly looking. I mean, for any kind of use. And what's wrong with people using glass? I, w- I wish that the manufacturers would stop using plastic for things like ketchup and everything. What happened to the glass, for goodness sakes? Patrick in Whitby phoned to complain about what bothers him about pedestrians when it comes to driving at night. I'm really concerned about people uh, on foot uh, that are literally invisible. And uh, I see that when I'm driving, people crossing uh, the crosswalks, when I'm trying to turn left, and I can't see them because they're, they're dark. They're completely darkened. That's my pet peeve. Ken in Cambridge called to explain why he thinks the SNC-Lavalin scandal had nothing to do with job losses, as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has said. If it was truly about jobs, what about Ontario? What about all the GM workers who are going to be laid off this year? What about the thousands, not 9,000, but thousands of jobs out west and in Alberta and the pipelines? This, this is not about jobs as they claim. It's about keeping their seats in Quebec. This is why the West is feeling more and more alienated and favoring Quebec constantly. I just don't believe the Liberals. I don't believe the Prime Minister. I think he's got it wrong. I think he has to apologize. Uh, And if he apologizes now, it's a little bit weak. Anthony in Niagara called to express his concerns about how the Trudeau Liberals on the Justice Committee behaved this past week by not allowing Jody Wilson-Raybould to testify a second time. Boy, oh boy, shame on those people. We talk about a banana republic. I think it's more like a Putin and a government uh, like China that we're getting into right now. They're hiding something. There's got to be something. Like, they would just, why not just let it out? And at the end of the day, we know exactly where we stand, and they'll continue on with their budgets or whatever the hell they want to do. Because right now, my neighbors are saying, we have no government. Penny from Nanaimo, B.C. called in to let us know what it was like to be a traveling Canadian on the day of the Boeing Max 8 ban. Our situation was different in that we were traveling domestically. We were flying from Sudbury to Toronto on to Vancouver and then Nanaimo. So we were not directly impacted other than the air, the airports were chaotic. There were lineups everywhere at customer service. And then when we went into the premier lounges in both Toronto and Vancouver, we ran into people that had been significantly delayed. But they were all glad to be delayed. They did not want to get on the 737, which I kind of found surprising. I thought they might say, oh, who cares? There's not going to be another crash this soon. But they were quite happy to be 
delayed and waiting and be safe. Charles in Dufferin County took us down memory lane when we chatted about the possibility of a Bloor bike lane extension. I'm uh, 82 years old now, but I used to bicycle on Bloor Street from west of High Park to east of the Don Valley uh, with my younger brother when I was about 12. There were streetcars. We were driving and we were bicycling in rush hour and nobody bothered us. I think your big problem is speeding. I don't think anything else needs to be done about that road. Leave it the way it is. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. Great calls as always, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Cheryl in Toronto, who says it comes down to common sense on the new Toronto operating budget. I think our taxes should go up. We want to be a world-class city. We need to pay for it. In fact, I'd love to see them price out the budget with everything we used to have years ago. And I bet in the long run, people would pay less because we wouldn't pay for all these extras for kids to do activities. Because in the old days, that was all free. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again tomorrow at the same time when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. You've been listening to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Produced for MZ Media Limited by Michelle Saunders. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. 